0: Chapter two, intelligence. Intelligence as a currency is the most important long-term payout. Climate change, public health, environmental health, societal influence by mother nature and the biodiversity of the planet is how wars have ultimately been won in the past. Of what actually gives someone the upper hand, generation after generation? My grandfather knew that and it's why he reportedly helped change the trajectory of the Korean War. The Department of Defense, blatantly corrupt governments, seemingly smooth regimes, a monarch- monarchical tradition, all of the political leaders know that intelligence is ultimately just questioning the unknown, which is a science, a study, an ology. The best military leaders take that knowledge and weaponize it in a long-instilled survival instinct of self-preservation those novel intentions intended for innocent use become weapons of mass destruction five inventions down the line which makes the most dangerous asset then scientists the ones who have access to the limits the ones who usually enjoy discreetly existing in the background emerging from our labs to report our results to others who then go on to make the decisions so what if you could weaponize that in the form of a trained woman capable of playing any role given to her classically conditioned to never question authority? It would be logical, at least, only emphasized by the ever-amassing sequence of coincidences that form the tangled spiderweb of my life. It's the real-life version of the meme of Charlie Day and Horrible Bosses when he's trying to explain how everything connects. Side note, if this is anything remotely close to what detectives do all day long, I may need to consider yet another career change. Thus, I just pointing out that it's a little suspicious that a beautiful blonde hair, blue, green eyed athletic firewall who is good at just about everything and now has degrees in biochemistry and epidemiology from two top 10 universities and has also traveled the world under a lot of incredibly convenient situations with a lot of relatively important people may have been part of a discontinued genealogical CIA mission to develop the next generation of agents to insert into the realm of the rich. (laughs) Clue number two, my father. Without getting into the depths of it, I have what one could classify as daddy issues. The frustration of being a hot, blonde, white girl who loves to test her limits both sexually and physically means that self-reflection inevitably draws me to concern over Freudian psychoanalytic connection with my enjoyment and being consensually degraded by men of my choice with the matter in which I was raised. As a scientist, when I study these theories, I naturally connect them to myself to increase my neuronal connective network and ability for recall via compartmentalization in the future. Despite distant hummings of correlation does not prove causation, that is still a debate as ancient as what came first, the chicken or the egg, and I fit right into the stereotype. My kind of sexual kinks are certainly not normal, and while I won't elaborate just yet, it has absolutely been called into question whether my fetishes are ingrained into my incredibly dominant persona because of nature evident by all the home videos of me as a difficult child or the militant, disciplined regime of my nurture. When I start to inevitably become both overwhelmed and slightly disgusted by the possible reasoning behind my sexual interests, I at least find comfort in reminding myself that it's not just my own household that, as a woman, restricted me. It's also having to explain myself every fucking time. It's growing up as a trophy, some ornament to society for my family, just to suddenly have the ability to make my own choices. It's having people be surprised at my intelligence all the time having an entire group of people assume they can have a priority over me judge me tell me where my place belongs thus the frustration in society's obsession to connect that purely to just my father is disturbing and my best friend the person who helped me survive undergrad from literally every single year in chapel hill has just as complex of a relationship with her father she, too, was thrown into the elite gymnastics world, a high society father, thrown into dance as well as gymnastics, but unlike me, she actually enjoyed the girlier aspects of womanhood. She smiled in all of her photos, dress up, and paraded around for the amusement of others, whereas I glared threateningly at the camera. That's not a joke, either. Literally, all of my photos are just angry. It's sad, so sad. You can't. Where I explored my sexual promiscuity, she took the opposite route. She was a virgin in college, but an incredibly beautiful girl, which is only relevant because she's pretty in such a way that you know it wasn't because she lacked options or some bullshit like that. As her best friend, we spent hours together, contemplating why she was so mentally hesitant to proceed past over-the-pants handjobs and dry-humping-filled makeout sessions. We also didn't realize quite how absolutely terrified of seeing a male penis she was until I set my friend Carl's as her phone background at a gymnastics meet. She literally screamed and cried upon flipping it open at 20 years of age. That is not a normal reaction. And as we both have a truly vile disdain for our fathers, we've inevitably discussed at length the possibility of like having actually repressed memories of them. Um... We've also bonded over childhood depression. We've discussed our similarities and struggles at length and taken solace in the shared experience of our increasingly distant relationships with our fathers where, try as we might, there's incessant warning lights of pain every single time they come back into our lives. So why, if it seems like they didn't actually do anything that severe, do we feel such hatred? Such deep-rooted, illogical survival instinct-like hatred telling us to run the opposite way from them if we want a happy life. And why does that warning sign still blare across the speakers of the megaphone of your inner psyche long after you've acknowledged and moved past them? My father wasn't a seasoned military man like my grandfather, yet he was arguably worse. No, he didn't curse and scream to the high heavens when the Washington Redskins lost on a Sunday night nor did he down an entire handle of Hendrick's gin each day. Instead, he designed the horrors of the world instead of directing them. He developed nuclear warheads, disappearing onto a naval ship for months at a time, out in the middle of the ocean, unreachable for days. Counterterrorism negotiation, understanding the minds of the horrible people in the world because you also think that way. Analyzing the Boston Marathon bomb on base, categorizing the explosion, figuring out how to recreate it. His own obsession with knowledge meant he succumbed to the novelty of leisurely cruising the internet each night instead of engaging in valuable discussions with his daughters. His preference for topical debate and the need to lead his own household staunched the creative impulse in his children during their adolescence. We retreated to our rooms instead of spending any quality time as a family unit. And it must have been a difficult balance instilling such important virtues of independence and then having that same logic used against you. Realizing your children growing up with access to more education from a younger age, more stimulation, a visual and auditory overload you can't even imagine, meant that they also surpassed your plan for their growth far quicker than you were able to predict that your inability to conform to an adapting narrative meant you were being left in the dust so when your daughter struggling to come into an identity of your, her own with the rush of hormonal swings that is puberty then sees you mocking her your own her own mother the most wonderful woman in her life for everything that makes her a woman a deviation emerges The emotional manipulation, the laughing at her tears, the a little dirt won't hurt mentality that pertained to ball field and home life. Those visuals have persisted long after the pains receded. Unable to process the events in real time, my childhood life, and list of upcoming performances always bearing dangerously up ahead, I stratified all of these instances into little filing cabinets deep in the recesses of my brain. So with a combination of coronavirus, a political election, global distress, a human and child sex trafficking scandal, I finally have the time to actually be reminded of and explore these memories. It's a rabbit hole into who I am that is inevitably tied to him at some point. It's inescapable and it's frustrating. And in the fact that the same man who was incredibly incredibly suspicious of data tracking, almost to a paranoid level, has been talking about China being our main threat for well over the last decade, and would disappear for weeks on end, only to reemerge holding the empty shells of missiles, missiles shot off somewhere in the ocean, shells that later became named in the deaths of others. There's no denying that he was and still remains one of the most intelligent men I've ever met which is exactly why it draws logical concern that he could have been so worried because he had something to hide.